0: Lord come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said see how he loved him. But some of them said could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said take away the stone. Martha the sister of the dead man said to him Lord By this time there will be an odor, for he
1: has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said those things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go.
0: This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. I want to begin this morning uh, by, and I realize this isn't common, but by giving a little bit of a shout out. As you know, me and Pastor Blake and our Ops Director, Matt, have been here. This is our eighth week worshiping, which means it is our eighth week running in which we have not worshiped with our wives. Brittany, Lauren, Bonnie, thank you for making that sacrifice. As we look at today's text, I believe that it raises many questions for us. And I want to begin with a story, one that in our house has not yet died. I would say it is dying a slow death. My daughter, who is now 10, was in preschool. She was four years old, going to a preschool in town in Pennsylvania when we lived there. And she was sick. And the next day at preschool was pajama day which meant this was the day that you got to wear your pajamas to school. Well, the poor girl was really ill, running a fever, feeling awful. And we prayed the night before that she would get better, that Jesus would heal her so that she could go to Pajama Day the next day. Well, the next morning comes and she's still running a high fever and she's unable to go to Pajama Day. For most of you, you would think this is not a big deal, but you don't know our daughter. We've heard about this for six years now. For six years, she has not let go of the fact that she was sick on Pajama Day. I look forward to the day when she will be able to wear pajamas to school again. Nevertheless, her question to us on that very holy day, pajama day, was this I prayed to Jesus to make me better. Why didn't He make me better? I prayed to Jesus to make me better so that I could go to Pajama Day, and he didn't. Why? That's a question that many of us have. Not with regard to pajamas, but with regard to so many other things. Why did Jesus not stop me from getting cancer? Why did Jesus allow that abuse to happen? Why didn't Jesus not hear me when one of my parents was spiraling out of control? Why did Jesus not spare my loved one from death? A child's question is small. But our questions are big. And it's a very question that is asked of Jesus today. And the first one that we will be asking, what do we do when Jesus lets the bad thing happen? What do we do when Jesus lets the bad thing happen? Children, if you're listening at home, I want you to listen for three words and they all begin with the S. The three words are shepherds, stomach, and snort. Shepherds, stomach, and snort. As you hear those, raise your hand, make a sound, let your parents know that you heard them. So we began today by asking the question what do we do when Jesus lets the bad thing happen? If you have a Bible, if you have your phone open, I encourage you to look at the beginning of John chapter 11, which gives us a better context for the scripture passage read by the Hamilricks. I'm going to read it for you from verses 1 through chapter 6 or 1 through verse 6 in chapter 11 and I want you to listen for the question that is asked of Jesus Now a certain man was ill Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and his her sister Martha It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. The text says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And it says very clearly in verse 6, And I suppose this is something that we might not expect. It says, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Why? Why would Jesus do this? Why, instead of staying two days longer, would Jesus not go to a man that he loves and heal him? Now, there is a true and scriptural answer for this. It is mentioned in verse 4. It's mentioned later on as well. In verse 4, Jesus says that it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. For those of you who have been around the Christian faith for any time at all, you know that this is the answer. Everything that God does, everything, because He is perfect and holy and lovely. Everything that he does is to glorify himself. From eternity past into the present into eternity future, God glorifies himself. And now to you and I, that might sound strange because that sounds narcissistic, it sounds egotistical. But that's only the case if we're fallen, if we're sinful. It's ridiculous for a sinful man to attempt to glorify himself because there is no glory in him. It's crazy for a sinner to be a narcissist, to have an ego, because there's nothing in us worth looking at. But for a God who is holy and perfect, who has nothing but pure motives, it makes all the sense in the world that He would want to glorify Himself. And it's not as if God is a mono-person. He is triune. So the Father, glorifying the Son, glorifying the Spirit, glorifying the Father, it makes every sense in the world why God would do this. Why would Jesus stay in the place two days longer after he hears that Lazarus is ill? The scriptural answer is because it's for the glory of God. But that doesn't mean that the answer is inherently pastoral. Now, I'm not sure about you, but in suffering and sorrow, it doesn't seem to comfort all that much to know that God is glorified. If you have good theology, you know that, of course, He's always glorified. He's glorified in my success and my joy, He's glorified in my sorrow and my failure. That's what He does. But knowing that God is glorified doesn't necessarily comfort us in times of suffering and sorrow. Have you ever been told when you were suffering that it's for God's glory? Well, whatever the reason for this, God's going to be glorified. I understand that you're suffering, but God is being glorified in this. On the one hand, that is comforting. Because you love Jesus and you want Him to receive honor. But on the other hand, that's anywhere from hurtful to just plain garbage. Could you imagine a world in which suffering saints... Only need to hear the words, well, God is going to be glorified. Honestly, that would make mine and Pastor Blake's job a lot easier. You lost your job? Well, God is going to be glorified. You lost your parent? Well, God is going to be glorified. We'd be fired for such hurtful shepherding. And rightfully so. I want to ask you an honest question. Do you think that God actually shepherds you that way? Do you think that God in His Word actually shepherds you so callously? I submit to you that God's Word shepherds us, shepherds us in ways, actually, that only the good shepherd can. And the reason why is that we have a God who knows, who understands, and who is with us in suffering. It actually greatly agitates me, especially when reformed people so quickly go to an explanation for suffering. Like, well, it's all for the glory of God. As if the text of Scripture stops there. The Scripture does not stop at that. Not in the totality of Scripture, nor in this individual instance. Now, how do I know? Look at the text. There. There we find not only the blunt and beautiful truth that God will be glorified in it, but also a shepherd's heart. Beginning in verse 32, it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell at His feet, saying to Him, Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. What was Jesus' heart toward Mary? He is moved. He is moved by the tears of his sheep. The heart of Jesus is stirred to sorrow. It says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The same word that we see in Lamentations one twenty, look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach is churns, moved. Or Habakkuk 3.15, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters, surging, moved. This isn't that he had a slight bit of sympathy for Mary. His stomach is churning. His insides are surging. What do we do when Jesus lets the bad thing happen? First, we trust and believe that he is not silent. He has spoken to us in his word. And through that, too, we remember that our suffering and our tears are precious to him. He knows us. Friends, if you are moved, our Savior is moved too. And the third point is we remember this. That even when Jesus lets the ultimate bad thing happen, death, Jesus hates death. Jesus Hates death. We see this in verses 33 and 38. When Jesus saw her weeping, Mary, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Then Jesus deeply moved again, verse 38, came to the tomb this word that we see repeated, Embrima'omai. It's the word that we see in Daniel 11. For ships of Gatim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged. Imbrimaomai, enraged. Even in the Gospel accounts in Mark 14.5, it says, it could have been sold for more than 300 days' wages. The disciples are saying about this precious perfume and the money given to the poor, and they were infuriated with her. Im bramah, oh my. Maybe we get the wrong picture when the text says that Jesus was deeply moved. We think. That was such a wonderful rendition of that song. It deeply moved me. When Jesus, seeing this scene, is enraged. Deep in his soul, he is infuriated. The word means to be moved with anger, to snort, to snort, inward, as a horse. It means to express intense agitation or even violent displeasure. Jesus was violent at least once in his earthly ministry when he was overturning the money changers' tables. Here, the violence is clearly not external but it's internal. He is enraged. He is infuriated. There is an inward violent displeasure at the sight of Mary weeping and Jesus seeing Lazarus, his beloved friend, dead. Why? Because Jesus hates death. You see, death rips apart the very nature of who we are. Mankind is made of body and soul. The material and the immaterial. Something you could touch and something that you can't. And a living person always has both. But death rips these two things apart. And we were not made for that. Mankind was made to never die. And so when I hear Christians, maybe at a funeral or at someone's passing, speak as if death is a good thing, my heart sinks. Because they misunderstand the nature of humanity and the teaching of Scripture on death. The nature of humanity, it is no more natural for the soul to be ripped apart from the body than it is for the Son, the eternal Son to be ripped apart from the Father. We were made as whole people. Not as souls with body suits. Our soul and our body are equally important to who we are as people created in the image of God. When I hear Christians talking about death, is a good thing. I think behind it is also a misunderstanding of the teaching of Scripture. When Paul says in Philippians 1 that it is better to depart and be with Jesus than to be in the body, he does not say it is better to die. He would never say that the preferred outcome for any saint, the Apostle Paul included, is to be in the body and be with Jesus. But if you have to choose between being in the body and being with Jesus, like anything else, you always choose Jesus. Is it better to have ice cream or to be with Jesus? Is it better to have a wife or to be with Jesus? Is it better to be ill or to be with Jesus? Whatever it may be. Is it better to be in the body or to be with Jesus? And the Apostle Paul cries out the very same thing that we would. It is better to be with Jesus. But that does not make the evil of my soul being ripped apart from my body any better. So those who die in Christ are with Jesus, which is good. But friends, that does not make death good. Otherwise, our Savior rose from the dead for no good reason. Jesus hates death. And I want to close today by asking this question. Will Jesus use the bad for good? Started by asking the question, what do we do when Jesus allows the bad to happen? And we're closing with the question, will Jesus use the bad for good? And we see in the text, beginning in verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Then in verse 43 it says, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go will Jesus use your bad for good frankly first many of you have seen Jesus do this use your bad for good For many of us, there are many bad things that have happened in our lives that we would not trade because of the ways in which Jesus used it. But second, some of us, either because the bad thing was so traumatic or so recent that we still don't know if He will turn the bad into good And I want to ask you the question, what if he uses it? What if he does? What if it takes 40 years? What if it takes you dying in order to see how he uses it? What if, in the end, all the awful is undone. What if in the end, all of our suffering, all of our tears are overcome with good? What if, like Lazarus, in the end, even death itself is undone? Let's pray. Father, we ask that we would see our suffering in light of your scripture. That we would be willing to ask our Savior, why? And be willing to hear what he has to say transform our hearts, make them moldable and malleable that we may see that our Savior in His death and His resurrection has begun the conquest of good that will win history. In His name we pray. Amen.